Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the college football playoff is here. We're going to get you ready for a great slate of games coming up in college football and also get to the latest news surrounding the NFL draft. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where Ryan Wilson of CBS is going to come through, talk through a couple of his favorite players from college football this fall, as well as turn our attention to Saturday's slate of games. We're going to focus in on those two playoff matchups. We've got the Fiesta Bowl, TCU in Michigan, the Peach Bowl, Ohio State in Georgia, We'll talk through those two games, the players to watch, and some of the matchups. We'll do the same in Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell and I, we're going to get into those two games. We're going to preview a couple of others. We're going to talk through underclassmen news, some all-star game news, everything you need to know going into the college football playoff weekend. And also, we've got another mock draft, this one from the 33rd team. We've got a great website, a great resource. We're going to break that mock draft down at the end of that segment. We'll round things out with pick six. Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head battle, picking games here this fall. Ross, uh, uh, he had the lead a couple weeks ago. We'll see where we're at at this point going into playoff weekend. And then draft mailbag, we've got a question about one of the blue chip players in this class and how he could pot- uh, fit potentially here in Philadelphia. So we'll get into that at the end of the show. As always, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Uh, and we will answer it here on an upcoming show, whether it's a question about a specific pot, uh, pl- prospect or if it's a mock draft, a set of rankings, whatever it is that you want us to break down, leave it there on the Apple Podcast comment section. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. That said, it's time to kick things off with Ryan Wilson from CBS. He is this week's Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Joining us this week for the very first time on the Journey of the Draft podcast, he is this week's guest for Mr. Relevant. That's Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports. We've broken down so many of his mock drafts in years past. You can follow him on Twitter at RyanWilsonCBS. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Happy holidays, Fran. I'm glad to be with you. This is a this is a big moment for me, for sure. Oh, I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much uh, for supplying all the content that we've been able to break down <laughs> over these last couple of years. And uh, obviously, a big big week here in college football. We've got a bunch of the the big bowl games coming up this weekend. We've got the college football playoff here. Uh, but before we get into this weekend, I want to kind of reflect on the season that was. Just ask you a, a couple of thoughts on your big takeaways. Is there a player uh, that maybe was a little bit under the radar? Obviously, everyone's talking about like Hendon Hooker and some of the other guys that have really boosted their stock, the the Jalen Hyatts of the world uh, here in this NFL draft. But is there a guy that's maybe flying under the radar that, in your mind, really boosted his stock the most in, in your thoughts and in your evaluations? Well, I had Jalen Hyatt on the list, and you mentioned Hendon Hooker, his, uh, his battery mate, if you will. Uh, and, you know, he had 15 touchdowns this year, and it's going to be interesting to see how NFL teams view him. And he snuck into a couple first round mock drafts. I've had him go in the first round. This wide receiver class isn't quite as deep as we used to see in recent years anyway. Um, but he is a straight line burner. And in some ways he reminds me a little bit of, of Mike Wallace that the Steelers drafted okay. in 09 at Ole Miss. And Tomlin used to call Mike Wallace a one trick pony because all he did was run nine routes, but he did that extremely well. And you want to see coming from this Tennessee offense, um, can Jalen Hyatt do more than what they asked him to do at Tennessee? I'm sure he can, but those will be the questions uh, heading into the, the pre-draft process. But another guy that I don't even know if he helped himself, Fran, but if you watched him play, and it was sometimes hard to to do because of his his buddy in the backfield, 
you got a glimpse of something that could be truly special. Rashawn Johnson mm. uh, out of Texas, who obviously B. John Robinson is, is the dude for the Longhorns. Uh, but Rashawn Johnson is a low mileage back who has returnability and who is pretty dynamic in his own right. And for all the reasons to love Bijan, all the reasons to love Rashawn is that I don't think he's had more than 95 carries total the last three seasons. Um, and when you watch him play, he's a one cut and go guy. He runs hard. He runs low to the ground. All the sort of the talking points you have when you when you like a running back, he can catch the ball out of the backfield when he's asked to do that. His hands appear to be pretty good. Uh, he didn't have a lot of opportunities, but that's a guy that I could see. I could see him being a day two guy. Um, because of the versatility, because of the low mileage. And even though he didn't get that opportunity uh, for obvious reasons at Texas, that doesn't mean he can't play the next level, that it won't translate at the next level. So I don't even know if that so much fits the question, but he's a guy that I'm keeping my eye on because I think he has a chance to be to be a really good football player, even if we didn't see a ton of them uh, at the college level. He's a guy, you know, there was a player in this past draft class that was a rookie in the NFL this fall and Damian Pierce who didn't get mm. a, a ton of run in college for a different reason. It was much more of a committee and he was the leader of that committee as opposed to uh, Rashawn Johnson backing up a, a future stud here in Bijan for the last couple of years. But I, I think that that might be a lesson learned for some people coming into this process is, hey, just because you didn't see a ton of Rashawn Johnson doesn't mean he doesn't have talent. And also, like you mentioned, the, from a skill set standpoint, there's a lot to really like. And also like a, a uh, he's definitely one of those the more you can do type of players, right? With his right. value on special teams, what he does as a blocker, he can catch the ball. He just checks so many different boxes. There's a lot to be excited about with that kid. Yeah, and it's funny because this is my fifth draft for CBS. And so when I first started, and I don't know if you had this experience early on, you've been doing this much longer than I have. You don't know what you don't know. And the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know a lot. Yep. And that's why you have to reach out to people and talk to people around the league, talk to scouts and talk to whoever you can get your hands on. And you find out that the people that the media love as we go through this process always aren't the same people that the league loves. And I think Rashawn Johnson's going to be one of those kids that the league is high on. And for whatever reasons, fans just don't know about Rashawn because they, they don't follow Texas. Yep. Uh, they only saw Bijan Robinson. They're a SEC fan. They're an ACC fan or whatever. And, and I think the, you hear about these guys in the fall and then people start to catch up media wise once we get to the senior bowl and then down the stretch to the combine. And I think Rashawn Johnson's a guy that you may not have heard a lot about uh, during the fall season, but his name is going to continue to come up as we get through this process. Well, it's a perfect segue because I, I the last question I wanted to ask you just from the uh, the season as a whole is the, is there a player in this draft cycle that you personally feel like you're just going to be a little bit higher on than everybody else? You're kind of like double checking, triple checking yourself, like man, do I need to watch him one more time? Like I feel like I'm the high man on the totem pole when it comes to this player. I have two names for you. And okay. I, I like that you described you described it that way because that's how I feel. Because again. You're like, I'm watching them, and it, this feels like, you know, sometimes you have no expectations of a player. You just heard his name, and you watch him, and you're you're blown away pretty early on, and you go, okay, this this is fun. Because sometimes you you hit a stretch where you see players that aren't doing what you expect them to do, or uh, they're they're making silly mistakes, and then you come across a, what feels like a diamond in the rough. And maybe this isn't a diamond in the rough. for Maybe you know this, and, and you feel good about this guy, which makes me feel better. Uh, Blake Freeland, the left tackle out of BYU. Sure. He's a long, he's slender by left tackle standards. But uh, I watched him play, and look, we could have the BYU-Zach Wilson conversation while well, he didn't play anyone. Look, this dude had a great season. Uh, they played Notre Dame, um, so he's had some competition that's outside of, of the, the BYU schedule there. And every time I watch this guy play, I don't know if his, he was formerly a tight end. Sometimes his tackles uh, were at one point tight ends, but he moves like a, a, an athletic tight end. 
He moves well in space, even though he's slender by left tackle standards. I think he's probably 308. And, you know, if you're six, seven, that that's that's kind of slim. But he, he anchors well. He re-anchors well. You never see him getting blown off the ball. Um, he didn't give up a sack this year. I think he only gave up one sack last year. And he's a guy that I haven't heard a lot of buzz about. And I have been tempted to put him in like the end of the, the round one mock draft. Haven't done it yet solely because I, uh, you know, I'm a coward, but I, I love <laughs> this guy and I, I want to see how he translates. Um, if we see him, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think he got a senior bowl invite, but if we see him have an opportunity in, in some of these situations through the pre-draft process, how, what that looks like. But I, I love this guy and it's rare that I love an offensive lineman, but, but I, I'm pretty high on Blake Freeland. He is, uh, he is heading to Mobile. At least he's scheduled to, and we'll see. Uh, hopefully he, he is able to get down there. I know there was some buzz. Uh, Dane Brewler had mentioned that there was a possibility he could go back to school, um, but uh, all eyes right now, it seems like Freeland uh, moving forward. I actually just studied this offense because I studied uh, Jaron Hall uh, this morning and was more, more focused on Hall than uh, on Natua or Blake, uh, Blake Freeland just because I wanted to kind of focus in on Hall's game, but Plenty of quality opponents uh, for Freeland. They, they, they played Oregon, so you'll see them against DJ Johnson. Uh, they played Arkansas. Uh, you may, so there's there's definitely going to be some quality tape there for Freeland to be able to judge him on before Mobile. Uh, you said you had two guys. Uh, who was the second player? So I do a podcast uh, at CBS with with Rick Spielman, the, the the longtime Vikings general manager, and he's a fantastic guy and a wonderful human being. But he likes to to bust my chops. Uh, so you know he gives me plenty of self doubt. I I love, and this kid will be at Mobile as well. I, again, another guy I was surprised to watch, especially in that offense, because I, I wasn't a huge Tanner McKee fan when I when I watched him this season. But Michael Wilson, his wide receiver, okay. is is a big. I think he's going to be faster than folks think he thinks uh, think he is, and uh, he has a few focus drops now and then. But I liked a lot about his game, especially when you. Um, when the league feels like it's going away from the, it sort of ebbs and flows, right? It feels like we're going away from the smallest wide receivers. You know, Jahan Dotson was a first round pick last year, but it feels like they're looking for sort of bigger targets and guys who can, who can make contested catches if they're not consistently getting separation, which becomes tougher and tougher against these elite cornerbacks. And I thought Michael Wilson did, did a lot of things. Well, uh, Spielman wasn't as high on him. Xavier Hutchinson was his guy at Ohio state, but there's similar height, weight, speed guy guys. It feels like. But I'm going to ride the, the Mike Wilson train until it goes over the over the cliff here. But I, I like what I've seen from him uh, over the course of the, uh, of the season. Uh, he had some injuries. Uh, I don't think he played the entire season. And uh, also, Stanford had had a rough go of it. Yeah. But from, I thought he made the most out of the opportunities given to him. And, and I'm interested to see. And I think he's healthy. I'm interested to see him in Mobile uh, down there. And those one on ones, and also, you know, obviously the game. I, I have not studied Wilson yet, so I wish I could weigh in on the debate between uh, you and Spielman. But I, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, he really exploded onto the radar back in 2019. He had 56 grabs, uh, five touchdowns. He barely uh, reached that mark in the next three seasons combined. Uh, he had a total mm. of, I'm, I'm looking at it now, he had uh, 46, 44, doing my math here, 44 catches and five touchdowns in the following in the last three seasons. And so the numbers haven't necessarily been there for Wilson. Right. Um, but that does, again, we kind of go speaking to the Rashawn Johnson part, uh, separating the production from what this guy could be moving forward. Uh, I'm interested to kind of dig into his tape. But uh, Michael Wilson, a good name here to bring up for this topic. Now, uh, moving forward into this weekend, we're talk, just talking through the playoff, these two games here, Fiesta Bowl, Peach Bowl. In your mind, is there a player that has the most to gain from this weekend? Is there a guy where you're like, oh, if he has a huge game uh, this Saturday, it's going to mean a lot for his future draft stock? Yeah, I'll give you one name on each side here. I'll go with Max Duggan for TCU. Yep. 
Um, he's going to be the senior bowl. Um, and, and I'm happy to see him there. He feels, he feels like a, I mean, we know what his game is, right? Like he's athletic. He's going to make plays with his feet. Um, he doesn't throw with a ton of anticipation, but when you're throwing to Quentin Johnston, you don't necessarily have to, you just throw jump balls and let him do the rest. And he's his game is certainly more than that. I don't want to, um, minimize what he's able to do, but I think if he has a big game against top quality opponents, uh, down the stretch here, that can perhaps sway some folks that maybe consider him a, a, a day three guy. And I think that's probably where he is as we go into this process. And there's no shame in that without question. But I, I think a, a good showing, playing a little more consistency, playing from within the pocket, maybe making a few anticipatory throws uh, could could get some folks uh, leaning towards maybe he goes higher than, than we currently think. And the other name I'll mention, and, and, and this, this name might come up a couple times in our conversation, Mazzy Smith. Like mm. Mazzy Smith is insanely athletic. He made Bruce Feldman's freak list. I'm pretty sure. Yep. If I, if I recall, I, mean, I believe he was, the, I believe he was the number one player on the list this year. And here's the thing. So that's the guy that you, you, you know what the, the accolades are going in. So you have huge, uh, you have, you have, you have a huge amount of you, your expectations when you watch. And, and I watched and I watched some more and I kept watching and it just wasn't flashing consistently. And in some ways, and I was talking to Scott about this, it reminded me, of Rashawn Gary coming out of Michigan. They play different positions, but Rashawn Gary didn't flash consistently. And, and part of the reason I remember talking to uh, his, the, the the guy who trains him and he said he was sort of playing out of position and asked to do things that he won't be doing at the next level. And Rashawn Gary took a couple of years to, to find his footing and then he exploded and, and he was, you know, having a, a great run with the Packers before the ACL injury. And I wonder if Smith is in a similar situation. I, I'm not certain, but I, I know the NFL teams have, have shared the frustration and that they haven't seen the consistency there. And if you come out and ball out uh, on the biggest stage, it's going to get folks' attention. And, and obviously, NFL teams, they, they, they're they done with their grades and all that. But that doesn't mean that front office types can't come in later and go, oh, my gosh, did you see this? And, and perhaps we should take another look at it. So those are two guys I, I want to see have big games. Um, and uh, I think it will improve their, their draft standing as, as we go through this thing. Yeah, I feel like Smith would be a guy that would really benefit from just exploding on a national stage like that. And obviously, the Michigan, uh, plenty of people have had eyes on them throughout the year. But to your point, it's not like uh, he has been a, a super productive player. I think you're talking more about the impact that he can create for others in terms of uh, what he does in the trenches. Uh, but I think a, a big game, a big performance down the stretch would do wonders uh, from that standpoint. Let's focus in on that game now. You're talking about the Fiesta Bowl, both those players, Max Duggan, Mozzie Smith, uh, participating there. TCU, Michigan, is there a, an individual? individual one-on-one matchup that matters most in your eyes from an NFL draft standpoint? Yeah. So let's go back to, to Mozzie Smith, him versus Steve Avila, the center yeah, uh, out of CCU who, who will be in mobile as well. And um, I, I've oddly watched a lot of these centers already and, and I like Avila a lot. Like he's not yeah. incredibly athletic. He's not asked to do a lot in space, but he's as strong as an ox. He can lock up with these, these defensive uh, defensive linemen, these interior defensive linemen types. And, and um, you know, that's, what I think is going to be the challenge for Smith. He's going to be able to have to use his hands. He's going to have to disengage early. He has to use his quickness to win. And that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. And another one, and this is sort of the obvious one, but I one that I'm very interested in. It, it starts with Quentin Johnson and it ends with DJ Turner. And, and you want to see what DJ Turner, the Michigan cornerback, uh, what he looks like against a, uh, a top 15 worst case scenario, NFL wide receiver. And you can sort of make some, some judgments about what that might look like in an NFL defense. And, and Turner's a, a long, Cornerback, he he has some athleticism. He he's not going to be a, a first round guy unless something changes that I don't know about. But that doesn't mean he can't be a good NFL player. So I think that's another matchup to watch on the outside when those opportunities present itself, uh, because Quentin Johnson is 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 a special talent. 
I wanted to ask you about Johnson because he's a guy that we've seen kind of uh, go from mostly, I would say like in the, in the summer and in the early part of the fall, he was in the, you know, 18 to 28 range in pretty much every mock draft. And now it's almost like a lock for top 15, like anywhere between like 10 and 15. Do you feel like that's kind of what we're looking at now with him is that this is a definitely lock for the top 15, top 18 of, of next spring's draft if he were to come out? I think so. And I think so for, I think he's actually a really, he plays to me, he's six, four, six, five. Yeah. He plays, he's the shiftiness of the small, the shorter quickness. He plays like he's five eleven. Like he plays, he's, he's pretty, he moves well in short areas, which sometimes you don't see from bigger guys. They're a little stiffer. Number one, number two, like I mentioned, this wide receiver class actually isn't that deep, uh, you know, especially compared to the to recent years. So you have Jordan Addison, Kayshawn Booty has now decided to come out. It, it sounded like he was going back. We mentioned Jalen Hyatt. And then you have Josh Downs, who's, a, who's an undersized wide receiver. We'll see yeah. how high he goes. And, and there are going to be a lot of questions after that. So if you need a wide receiver, you know, the joke is the Packers, maybe they'll draft one this time. Uh, it would it would make sense that you may have to overdraft him. And that usually happens with quarterbacks, obviously, and it happens with offensive tackle sometimes. Uh, but but I think if Quentin Johnson is the guy that you think fits your offense, now this is a question that's popping in my head. Is he better than George Pickens? And the issue with Pickens, there's some, some maturity issues with Pickens, and there was the ACL. Right now, no, probably not, because we know that George Pickens turns out to be really good. But coming out, if Pickens had been healthy, I think Johnson probably goes higher than Pickens. But that's that's me trying to rewrite history. Right. Yeah. I, I, and Johnson paired with um, uh, with Christian Watson uh, would be a very interesting duo for yeah, uh, for Green absolutely. Bay moving forward, making that pairing there. Um, let's go over to the other game here, the Peach Bowl, Ohio State, Georgia. Is there a matchup there uh, that you're most excited about that you feel like means the most when it comes to next April? Well, let's start in the trenches again. Luke Whipler versus Jalen Carter. Carter, like uh, I absolutely love Whipler, the center for Ohio State. Uh, I was surprised at how much I loved him. Um, again, like offensive line play isn't my forte, but he seemed to be doing the things he was supposed to be doing and doing it at a high level. Um, I thought he was a, a, a much better athlete than I expected. I thought he moved well in space. I thought he was stout at the point of the attack. And then Jalen Carter's Jalen Carter. And you just want to see how what that looks like for uh, a, a center that's probably going to be a day two pick. And what that looks like going up against a top three player mm. and, you know, make some judgments from that. I expect it to be a, a probably better matchup than most people expect. And then, of course, uh, maybe the marquee matchup, the thing that people are talking about. Uh, what does Kaylee Ringo look like against Marvin Harrison Jr.? Yep. Because, you know, we talked about Quentin Johnson versus DJ Turner. Kaylee Ringo probably going to be a top 10 pick. And, uh, you know, last year, Stingley went third, Sauce went four. Sauce feels like physically he's a freak among freaks. Like just walk, seeing him walk down the street, like, okay, this guy looks special. And then he plays and he is special. 2021, JC Horn went nine, Patrick Sertan went 10, uh, excuse me, JC went eight, Patrick Sertan went nine. I'm not sure if Kaylee's, he's probably the fifth cornerback in that list. I, I would think I would agree with you. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he won't go seven or whatever. Right. right? So yep. either way, Marvin Harrison is going to be, a. I, I'll go and let me say a top five pick next year. We'll mm. see. We'll say these things play out. But I went back and um, I, I charted every snap that Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback out of Penn State, had against um, Marvin Harrison in that matchup. And there were like 40 reps that were matched up against each other. And I think Marvin had three catches against him. Joey Porter Jr. held his own. And I think if if Kaylee can have that sort of afternoon or evening uh, against Marvin Harrison, that could answer some of the lingering questions um, that teams may have about him. But again, he's physical. He's big. He's fast. Um, you know, he's given up some touchdowns that that happens when you play in the SEC against SEC wide receivers. Uh, but, but this is something that, that I'll certainly have my eye on because this will tell you a lot. I feel like. 
Blue Chip players uh, abound in both of these games. It's going to be a lot of fun breaking it down uh, here on Saturday. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Again, everybody go make sure you follow Ryan on Twitter. Go subscribe to that podcast with, uh, with he and Spielman. Ryan, again, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Thank you, friend. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, so we're going to keep the conversation rolling here for the college football playoff. But before we get there, we're going to go through some of the latest news crossing the uh, the newswire here as we welcome in Ben Fennel for Saturday Scouting. And Ben, we've got a bunch of new names to talk through with the uh, underclassmen ranks and who is officially declared for this draft. And obviously one of the big names, uh, B. John Robinson from Texas, highly anticipated, most expected that he would enter as the top running back in the country. Uh, and he has uh, entered his name officially into this draft. Yeah, no surprise there. Very likely to be running back one. Now let's see what draft capital someone who wants to pull the trigger on i could see him going in the top 10 i could see him going in the back end of round one like we've seen some running back ones go can see it being a round two type of start on running back so we'll see how nfl teams view the running back position over the next uh, few months the the listenership on this podcast grows on, on a weekly monthly basis as we as more fans all around the nfl are learning more about this draft class for as it states today 20.5 over under Bijan Robinson going in the draft. Interesting. Okay. So then if that's the case, where do you kind of view I'm asking a, you. I'm making a thing. Oh, you're setting. I thought you were telling me. I'm Vegas right now. I would now. take higher as in like later. Over. Yeah, He's I think going later. over. Yeah, I, that gotcha. would be my guess just because of the position. I'll but, take the under. Okay. Interesting. Let's make it a chi- uh, chicken salad BLT. There we go. What's the uh, what's the, the the A trait about Bijan that you think makes him a top 20 pick? His play strength. His ability to, to move the pile, to finish runs, and to get those gritty um, – you know, extra yards falling forward and uh, um, showing that physicality between the tackles, his contact balance, his elusiveness. Uh, I think he's NFL ready today. All right, so we've got a few more running backs here that also declared for the draft. We'll start with a player who is first team all ACC this year for Pitt, Israel Abanaconda. Uh, give us uh, your spiel here on, on, on Abanaconda and what he will bring to the NFL. Yeah, former New York uh, Gatorade Player of the Year. He's kind of high cut and leggy. He's like 5'11", 210. Reminds me a lot of Ryan Grant Okay. Uh, in his time with the Packers there. Has some breakaway speed, but I don't think he's uh, – going to be an exceptional tester i know he has the track background but he's put on some weight since he uh, got to pit he's a leggy kid you know, he looks good uh we'll see if he can catch the ball well enough to have a third down roll um but he's a nice player i could see him being a day three pick uh one player that ross tucker bought up a couple weeks back when i asked him who are the 10 player the 10 the top 10 players that you saw in person this year and he listed uab running back Dwayne mcbride he officially entered the draft as well and lump in right in with central michigan's lou nichols the third because they're very similar height weight speed they're about 5'11 225, very thick, well-built, physical runners, guys that have the juice to get to the perimeter but do a lot of their work between the tackles, guys with great contact balance. I don't think either are going to be exceptional testers, but that's okay. They're physical runners. They each catch the ball pretty well. They have some juice in the open field. Uh, We'll see what the NFL thinks of them. Let's go over to the uh, the defensive line because, as you mentioned, uh, Lou Nichols uh, as well from Central Michigan entering this draft. That's it for the offensive side that we're going to cover. We'll go over to D lineman uh, Jacqueline Roy from LSU, who was in mock drafts uh, over the summer as a guy that was a potential first round pick. I believe, as I'm going to pull this up really quickly, uh, there was one mock draft that had him extremely high. Yeah, Mike Renner had him in the top ten of his mock draft. Dane in his early mock draft back in the spring had him in the top thirty as well. Jacqueline Roy, six three, three fifty. What are your thoughts on what he'll be in the NFL? 
Well, he's an interesting trench player. He's a guy I think can play some one tech, some three tech. He yep. kind of plays up and down on the interior from four eye to four eye. But he's always left us leaving a little bit wanting more. Only started one game last year. You expect him to really turn it on this year, especially uh, with the injuries they've had on that front there. There was definitely production to be had. I think he could still serve himself better by going back to school for another year. But he's ready to come out. That LSU program has a lot of comings and goings right now. He has an NFL body without the NFL type of play and production. Let's see if some NFL coaching can get the best out of him. I thought he was quick off the ball. He was really light on his feet. He was rarely on the ground. Those were things I liked. But I agree that there was a lot to, that I felt like he needed to get a little bit better at uh, before moving on. And we'll too, see. Many, too many flashes and not enough consistency. Yes, I would yeah. say that was probably fair, especially based off what I saw uh, from a year ago. I haven't done all the, the film from this year yet just because he just declared. I, typically this time of year, I'm more focused on the senior class. But I think looking at Jacqueline Roy, the, the flashes had you intrigued about what he could could be moving forward. And I think you could probably see the same, maybe even more so, about Kalijah Cansey, the defensive lineman from Pitt, built much, much differently than Jacqueline Roy, but uh, a really intriguing prospect for sure. Yeah, he's the undersized type of, uh, you know, under tackle. He plays three tech, he gets up the field, he's a, a block slipper type. He's that Sheldon Rankins, Mike Daniels type that I think the NFL's becoming a little bit more uh, receptive to and that that's okay if you could get after the passer and be a sub-rushing defensive tackle. And this kind of goes Goes to the extension of sub-rushing defensive ends. Mm. You see guys like Josh Uchi, Bryce Huff that don't play a lick on early downs and are absolute QB killers on third down. That could be Clyde Jacancy. He could just be a sub-defensive tackle that knows how to get up the field. And if you can do that, that has a value. What type of draft capital will be uh, you know, needed to get him? I think that's kind of uh, up in the air right now. How, this this how guy do you that kind gets of view quarterbacks. That? How, how do you view that? Like, if you say like a guy that can be an impact player on uh, twenty-five snaps a game, or twenty snaps, if eighteen snaps a game, versus a player that you know maybe they play more snaps but don't provide that same level of impact. How do you kind of uh, juxtapose that? I just think those segmented uh, role players or day three picks, the ones you kind of fill out your roster with, they're not foundational picks. So I'm not going to use any sort of foundational capital to acquire them. Mm. Uh, when I looked at Cansey. Uh, I loved the player. Like he was so explosive. He he is a uh, interior disruptor through and through. But I mean, he's listed six foot two seventy five. You, you just don't see a lot of guys coming to the league that small on the interior uh, and be disruptive players. One guy that I can remember that was that small and played like as a nose tackle, like over the center. Adam Butler coming out of mm-hmm. Vanderbilt. Yep. Uh, he was a day three pick. He goes to New England and carved out a really nice role uh, as a sub-package player and turned that into a free agent contract with Miami. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder if Cansey can be more than that. If he can turn into that like that three technique, people are going to very instant, you know, very quickly make the comparison between him and Aaron Donald. I don't think it's the same comparison at all, um, but I do think when you look at uh, his first step, how ex- explosive this kid is, his cornering ability for an interior rusher, really good on stunts. Like If you're a team that likes to move your pieces around up front, I think you're going to be really intrigued by Kalaja Kansi, but I don't think he's going to be a fit for yeah, everybody. Nowhere near an Aaron Donald, despite yeah. being different, undersized, different, yeah, despite being deal. pit. Yep, you yep. know, there's undersized tackles to uh, look at. Geno Atkins, Sheldon Day. Yep. Um, you know, all, Sheldon Day's a good one. Yeah, all range, range of uh, quality. All right, let's go Noah Sewell. This is another player that uh, was viewed as a top 20-ish pick in most mock drafts back over the summer. Uh, how do you view Noah Sewell now, now that he's officially in this class? Well, he's a thick, hulking linebacker that's a C-ball, get-ball uh, type of tackling machine. Now let's just see what type of role does the NFL think he can do on third down? Is he purely a sub-rusher? Do they think he has coverage ability? Is he a three-down player? I think he's kind of all over the place based 
based on his college career. He's flashed some ability to play in space. He's flashed some ability to blitz. He's flashed some ability to turn and run. Needs to be more consistent once he gets to be third and medium, third and long, and whatever his role is going to be. I think he's a move-forward type. Hmm. So I think yeah, I'm going to be blitzing him on third down uh, and really not having him turn and run uh, down the seams or having a buzz of the flats or match up against running backs and tight ends. Exceptional athlete, really tough player. Now we need to figure out what his role is going to be in the pass game. I watched him and immediately thought of like some of the players we've seen play in New England for years, yep. like, a, like a Dante Hightower, like who I really loved coming out of Jelani Alabama. Jelani Tabai right now is yeah. playing linebacker for him. He's very yep. similar. Yeah, I really feel like that's the kind of player that you're going to get uh, with Noah Sewell and agree that a lot of the stuff with him moving forward is really impressive. I do think he reads routes really, really well. I just don't know that he's like, and that's where people I think will say like, oh, could, could he be Fred Warner? Could he be Fred Warner? I don't think that he's at nearly as good as Warner was moving in reverse. Yeah, I don't see that level of athlete. I don't see those level of instincts. Really tough player, good mix of height, weight, speed, athleticism, toughness. But I think you want him moving forward. Fred Warner's a freak. So, you know, comparing guys, Aaron Donalds and Fred Warner's that are outliers, it's just a dangerous game. Noah Sewell, really smart player, younger brother of Penny Sewell, younger yep. brother of Nephi Sewell, both in the NFL. I expect Noah to be there. All right, let's go uh, Senior Bowl now. A bunch of names added in the last week as well, heading to Mobile. We've got a couple of quarterbacks. Um, one, Max Duggan, uh, TCU, is playing this weekend. We talked about him in the last segment with Ryan. Uh, what are your thoughts on Max Duggan? Obviously a guy that has really improved throughout his career and had a career year. You know, I think some NFL teams are going to view him like a Brock Purdy type. Guy that's kind of gone through the through the ringer, so to say, on Saturdays. Has been a multi-year starter. Had some ups, had some downs, had some highs, had some lows. Had some games where you probably wanted to bench him at halftime. Had some games that he rallied his team in the fourth quarter. You know, in similar types of adversity throughout their college career, Brock Purdy didn't start initially. Got his job. Max Dugan didn't win the job this summer. And then I think there was an injury in week one, and they threw him the keys back and said, we need you, kid. And he's been the, the quarterback for this darling season ever since. So I like, been finalist. Yeah, I like the adversity he's gone through, huge season. His collective play at TCU has been all over the place. I hate that offense, having studied it from going back to Jalen Rieger and, you know, uh, since then. Um I'm really excited to see him down uh, away from this program, as we like to say, and see uh, what he can do for himself. And, you know, let's see if maybe he can be that backup, that third stringer and, um, you know, get an opportunity in the summer and preseason like a Brock Purdy. Next thing you know, maybe you're getting the keys thrown to you in an NFL team. Interesting. Well, let's see another guy here, Jaron Hall, a guy that I just studied uh, this morning. I talked about him a little bit uh, or briefly with the in the last segment with Ryan. I know you studied Jaron Hall as well. He's headed to Mobile. Yeah, he's a guy I compared to. I have two names written down, Case Keenum and Connor Shaw. So he's just a smidge over six foot, just a smidge over 200 pounds. Not an imposing looking kid, but he's a really smart decision maker, good placement, good thrower on the run. Um, he's an older, mature kid as well. Yeah, he'll be a 25 year old rookie I just don't know what he's going to hang his hat on he's not an exceptional athlete he's not a big imposing kid he's not doesn't have a huge arm he just kind of ho-hums and gets the job done he's a decent athlete but not great he's got a decent arm but not great made a bunch of big time throws over 50 yards of air so he can put the ball around the yard I just don't know what his hat or what his trait is going to be that he's going to lean back on. I think he's a smart kid. I think he's a late day three pick, priority free agent. But these senior bowl moments really let you know if you have something to kind of fill out your quarterback room. Yeah, I think this is a comparison so that people can kind of envision like usage. Uh, because he's not the same player, obviously. Tua was a top 15 pick. I, but I think in terms of usage, like with what he does well, 
you watch Tua, uh, Tua Tungavailoa with the Miami Dolphins right now, coming out of Alabama. It's like, okay, like touch, anticipation, uh, getting through things fast. Like I, You see examples of Jaron Hall making full field progression reads. Uh, the way that he makes spot throws to all three levels of the field is impressive. I don't think you're going to be wowed by the arm and the velocity. Uh, personally, I don't think you're going to be wowed by the athleticism. You mentioned the smaller frame. Uh, I don't think he's like a natural runner or a runaround type. I don't think that's Jaron Hall's game at all, but I do think that uh, you know there's a place for a player like this, it's just going to be kind of uh, scheme specific from that end of things. So might be like uh, more like a Matt McGloin type than right. a uh, Tua in my eyes. Yeah, like I'm not yeah. comparing him to Tua, but like yeah. in terms of like just so people have seen Tua and have an idea of what he can bring, I think that that uh, kind of helps tell the picture there. The last player on offense here, Evan Hull from Northwestern, who actually was a junior declaration, so one of the underclassmen who was eligible has his degree for the Senior Bowl. Uh, what have you seen from Evan Hull? He's got really good size. He's got good speed. He's had a huge last two years on the ground, but but what he's done in the past game is even more impressive. He's got 87 receptions over the last two years mm. with like one or two drops. So he's got great hands, great third down value, great athlete in space, can win inside and outside as a runner. He's a really interesting kid. I don't know if he's going to be an exceptional tester, and I don't really know where he's going to fall into the pecking order of these running backs in this class, and it's seemingly all sorts of shapes, sizes, abilities, specialized skill sets, home run hitters, tough guys. I don't know what he's going to do you know, to specialize himself, but he's a really well-rounded player. I'm excited he got this nod here. He deserved it. One of the more prolific uh, running backs in the Big Ten this year. Um, He deserved this honor, and I hope he can go make a name for himself down in Mobile. Let's go over to the defensive side. Uh, Isaiah Land from Florida A&M initially was announced that he was going to go to the Shrine Bowl, now heading to Mobile, it looks like. Uh, he was the Buck Buchanan Award winner back in 2021 as the best player uh, in the uh, in the in the FCS ranks for, for, A&M, or for Florida A&M. Extremely productive pass rusher, just really, really small. So uh, at that size, uh, it's kind of in the Klyja Kansi discussion of what is he going to be moving forward into the NFL. Yeah, he reminds me a little bit of the way, like, uh, Josh Allen played at Kentucky. Okay. You know, He's a guy that really times and anticipates stuff in the backfield exceptionally well. Gets a lot of TFLs, a lot of sacks, makes a lot of plays in the backfield. Just his height, weight, frame, length is kind of unique. He's very skinny. He's tall. Play, literally like Josh Allen, like literally look up his height, weight, speed, frame, length. Everything's the same. Just wanted to put a little bit more sand in the pants to hold up against the run. He's a slip block type, but he does it really, really well. So I think some teams will like him. Some schemes won't. But he's a guy that does a really good job in making plays and impact in the game. Let's go to another defensive lineman here who has been very, very productive. I talked about him about a month and a half ago here on the show. That's Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. He had like a uh, like five-sack performance on a Maction Wednesday night or something like that, and I talked about him the following week. Uh, Interesting player. He's listed at 300 pounds, spends a lot of time off the edge playing to the field, so you see a lot of space type of plays with him. Um, but I think he's obviously at 300. You're talking more about an interior guy, but that versatility certainly helps. Yeah, he's a heavy edge, as you mentioned, 300 pounds. Um, reminds me a little bit like a – he's got like a Kerry Hyder body. Yeah. You know, he looks like a block out there, not very angular. He's kind of wide-hipped and wide-shouldered. He's a powerful player. He gets up against a tight end or an undersized tackle that first quarter completely overwhelms them in his size, his power, his toughness, his stoutness. He doesn't look like an exceptional athlete, but he's like a matchup rusher. And I think that's kind of how Kerry Hyder's been used. I love can, that comp. Who can play some edge. He can play some three-tech. He keeps getting jobs in the NFL. Why? Because he knows how to rush the passer. And especially if he gets one-on-one matchups, he's getting home. I'm really excited for uh, Carl Brooks's opportunity and – 
he might be put in some unique scenarios. He's a guy that played a lot of stand-up edge. Yeah. He might be playing out of some four-point stances and like a two-eye. Yeah. So he may be a guy that, you know, doesn't look the part in Mobile, but keep going back to his tape because this kid can play football. Yeah, and there's some uh, quality opponents uh, early in the season. They played like Mississippi State. I want to say they played... Who was the? They played another. Uh, I think it was a West team. It was, a, it was an Arizona. They played somebody else out west yeah. early in the year. So you've got some uh, some Power Five competition to be able to watch him against. And he just dominated the MAC uh, over the course of his career. Let's go now to Tavius Robinson from Ole Miss. This is a player I have not done yet. We have talked about how many players there are on that Ole Miss defense, and uh, they've got another one heading down to Mobile. Well, his stock is turning up this season, particularly late into the season, late November, December. Has played really good football. Fran, this kid looks the part. Man, this kid might be one of the better looking prospects in all of the draft Mm. he's the hundred pick later version of zach harrison okay he's 6'6 265 tall long angular fast high cut he kind of looks like janarius robinson out of florida state all right ago uh, current eagle guy that was a little bit you know raw with his technique but what did he do he looked the part for him he He was absolutely an exceptional looking player this kid has had a really good season. He's from Canada, by the way, as well. So uh, I've seen a little bit more of those kids up north come down and play really good football in the SEC. I'm excited for his opportunity. He's a guy that can play some inside, some outside, versatile player, long. If he gets his hands on you and can strike your chest first, it's over. And I love his first step. I think he's going to be a demon in one-on-ones. One thing you say about like a lot of these bigger ends that aren't finished products yet those guys go fourth, fifth round every single year yep. just because at, at that position, if you've got traits, like people will be willing to bet on you. We had the conversation about Josh Sweat over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and he was different just because of the pedigree and uh, why he got drafted on day three as opposed to day two. But I think when you look at those kinds of players, there's a reason why uh, they go they go earlier than you think. And so Tavius Robinson, uh, a name to watch here going into the draft cycle. A personal favorite of yours, and I know, Ben, uh, Henry Toyo Toyo. This is a guy that played right away for Tennessee uh, as a big-time recruit for the Volunteers, ended up transferring to Alabama when they made the coaching change uh, and has been a two-year starter now for Nick Saban in the I time. don't see why he can't be a Matt Milano type for somebody. Now remember, he's a smidge over six feet tall. He's about 225. He's kind of an undersized linebacker, despite looking uh, the presence and being in the SEC for four years. This is an undersized linebacker by NFL standards. But it's okay because he plays fast, he plays athletic, he has twitchy movements, really quick laterally, good read and react, good blitzer, really good in coverage, good on special teams. Just needs a little bit more sand in the pants. Needs to get stronger. He's not a thumper. He's a bit of a drag down tackler. He gets stuck on blocks. Everything I just said there in the negative, same thing with Matt Milano. And that's okay. There's certain things he does well. And if you pair him with the right complimentary Mike linebacker, Henry Toyo Toyo, I could see being a 12-year Will linebacker in the NFL. I really like his tape. I like his personality. Like him on the field, off the field, three-down linebacker. He's a kid I want in my uh, my locker room. Uh, Another player that I know you brought up on this show, this was like two, three years ago at this point. Carlton Marshall, uh, another linebacker heading to Mobile. He's an undersized kind of run-around type, right? Yeah, I think he has the... uh NCAA record for tackles or something, something he broke this year. Lines, yeah. I remember his dad, I think, reaching out to me on Twitter two seasons ago asking me what I thought of him. Wow. Like he was considering coming out. Yep. Then he went back, and then he went back again. And then, you know, there's COVID in there and all sorts of stuff. But this kid's 5'10", 215 pounds. This is a very small linebacker, but it's been done before. That's very much like the way Stephen Tolick came out and played 10 years in the NFL. It was absolutely a tackling machine. So undersized. 
but don't scout the frame or the the height weight. You know, he this is a kid that finds the ball and finishes the ball carry. He's been an All-American, uh, I think, for the last two or three years over there at Troy. Just doesn't have the size or the length, but he has the experience. He knows how to get the ball to the ground, and that's what it's all about. I love it. Well, let's get to uh, our last player here that we are going to get to, and that's a player that we've known about for the last couple of years, and that's Jordan Battle from Alabama, uh, also heading to Mobile. He's staying uh, close to home there. Yeah, another guy that I just feel like isn't going to have exceptional qualities um, to hang his hat on for like his draft stock. He's not going to run fast. He's not going to be explosive. He doesn't have tons of wow plays. This kid is so smart, though, Fran. This kid is experienced, very little things he hasn't seen before. I just feel like him returning to Alabama meant he wasn't happy with his advisory grade last year. And it's probably the same spot it is, is that it is this year. Right. Same thing with, like, DeMarco Helms on that back end of Alabama. It's been there for three, four years. I don't think anyone's going to take these guys in the top 150. I expect to see them on Sundays all day long. Mm. So I think Jordan Battle can be a... Uh, uh, Corey Graham type of guy, you know, a very veteran type of presence that can play top down, play some half field, play some free safety, come match up if you need, not to mention he's 500 special team snaps at the very end of the day. Yep. Very much the way I saw Brad Hawkins at uh, Michigan in the last class. Interesting. I'm not sure where he went or if he was he a, he was a late day three. Yeah. I expect battle to go in that same ballpark. Interesting. Teams... I think he's, I think he's a higher pick than that. I just, I, I think he's a, like a day two guy all day. I just never bought into like the round one stuff. Cause of everything you said, like typically if a safety goes round one, he's got like a plus physical traits. And I don't think that battle has that, but I no. do think like he sees things really well. He's a really reliable player. He's just, not like stand out in any area. I mean, you're going to be kind of deciding with him and like Jalen Catalan and Brandon Joseph and, you know, where do you, you know, match up a JL Skinner and then you have Ronnie Hickman and Jamie Robinson. And um, I just think there's some other guys that are going to kind of leapfrog ahead of him. I think he's going to be right in there with maybe uh, Christopher Smith at Georgia. Right. Uh, and a converted corner that's played some safety, but just won't have an exceptional quality to his name. It's going to be some good safeties to go on day three and that's okay. Let's go to uh, this weekend's matchups now. We'll start uh, Saturday at 12 noon. Before we get to the playoffs, let's, let's go to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Alabama, Kansas State. We're going to pick this game uh, in the next segment here with okay. Ross or talk through this game with Ross in the next segment. But uh, what are your thoughts? What's one reason to watch the Sugar Bowl, Alabama, Kansas State? Well, let's see that Henry Toyo Toyo we were just talking about and his ability to be undersized and a great coverage linebacker. Well, he's going to see little Deuce Vaughn at Kansas State, one of my favorite players in college football at 5'6", 165 pounds but an absolutely electric playmaker out there, very much like uh, Darren Sproles from 20, 30 years earlier over there with Kansas State. So they should see each other on some third downs, maybe get a couple angle routes or some uh, plays and coverage to see each other. And then also Kansas State, don't forget about their edge rusher, Felix Anduki Uzama, back-to-back 40 pressure seasons, only trailing Tyree Wilson in the Big 12 this year with QB pressures. This kid knows how to get after the passer. He's about 6'4", 255. It's going to see some really good SEC tackles uh, with Alabama. So interesting matchup here, Alabama, K-State. Some fun one-on-one battles. So Toyo Toyo, Deuce Vaughn, and that edge rusher, uh, Felix and. Help me out with the Anadike. name. Anadike. Anadike. I got to let that roll off a little better. Felix Anadike Uzama. Yes. Anadike Uzama. By the way, uh, I mean, Will Anderson, Bryce Young, both playing in the game. Yep. Uh, neither of them opted yep. out. So uh, if you want to see both of the two guys that are likely to go in the top three, top five, 
It's a good reason to check in uh, here certainly, on the Sugar Bowl certainly. Saturday at 12 o'clock. I mean, be sure to watch that one. Uh, Kansas State has been a plucky team all season. They've <laughs> had some big wins there in the Big 12. Let's go Music City Bowl. Iowa, Kentucky. I just talked about how uh, Will Anderson and Bryce Young, those guys playing. This game, not as friendly uh, from that regard. A lot of the, the top names on both sides, including Will Levis, he is not playing. Uh, the, the quarterback for Kentucky who's the likely first-round pick. Chris Rodriguez, the star running back for Kentucky, not playing. You go over to Iowa, uh, Brandon Merriweather, the uh, the safety, uh, he is not playing. He's going to the Senior Bowl. Um, Jack Ander, I think uh, I think the, the linebacker is playing. Um, Campbell? Uh, yeah, Jack Campbell, not Jack Anderson. Jack Campbell, uh, I believe, is playing for Iowa. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a mash unit on both sides. We've got injuries. I, I think Iowa's on their third quarterback. I heard uh, pregame they're going to pull some fans down and uh, let them get some snaps <laughs> on defense there. So kind of a united way, make a wish, you know, your dreams come true thing. I like it. These teams played last year in a bowl game. Do we, why do we do this? Yeah, you're right. That drives me crazy because I remember that Linderbaum pull where he came around the perimeter right, and ran right, like 40, right, 50 right, yards. Right, right. Uh, that play just sticks out in my mind. So can we mix up these matchups a little bit more? Play in Orlando last year. Great, let's play him in Nashville this year. Right. Whatever. But anyways, Kentucky has a corner I love. Kedron Smith, 6'2", 200 pounds, second team All-SEC. This is the old Miss transfer, the 1,000-point score in basketball in high school. Zero touchdowns allowed this year. 3,000 snaps played, 540 special teams for a 6'2", 200-pound corner with good speed, good athleticism, good coverage skill. Two different SEC schools getting better and better each year. Keedron Smith's kind of working his way into a right on the fringe of a top 150 prospect, in my opinion. I love that. All right, so a player to keep an eye on there. Before we get into the playoffs on Saturday like afternoon. Mackay Gardner down at LSU. LSU really good yep. size. Don't sleep on that kid either. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, which, by the way, they, they play this weekend as well, LSU and Purdue. Uh, so before we get into the, the playoffs, I real, real quickly, I mean, we got to talk about the Rose Bowl. Uh, Monday, 5 o'clock. This game is going to happen uh, after we record the Monday recap from the, from the playoffs. So uh, that said, I do want to talk through this a little bit with you. Utah and Penn State, who, uh, who do you like here? There's a couple opt-outs on both sides, but still a number of players that are really going to hey, be impressive. Big Ten freshman of the year, Nicholas Singleton at running back Penn State is playing. You watch him. All I right. might watch this guy just go through warm-ups. If somebody wants to throw him routes on air, that's worth watching. This kid is electric. He's exciting. Anytime he steps on the field, that's must-see TV. I mean, the Rose Bowl last year like was the best game in college football in the last like decade. Yeah. You, have to watch, you have to watch the Rose Bowl. That was the big uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba Smith, game. Smith and Jigba, C.J. Stroud threw for like eight touchdowns yeah, in the Grant game. Grant had both, some big plays yeah, as well. Both teams went back and forth, You and Utah was in that one, yeah. Utah, Ohio State. And Penn State up front, they actually have an interesting uh, senior playing in Juice Scruggs, Frederick yes. Scruggs. Scout Team Player of the Year way back when with who? Will Levis. Mm. Both when they were young guys at Penn State not playing. Will went to Kentucky. Juice eventually became a starter at right guard. He's now the center heading to the Shrine Bowl. He's a guy that hasn't gotten a lot of love, in my opinion, in this kind of murky center class. Yep. Juice Scruggs, really good player, plays with this real wide base, leverage player. He paves a lot of those lanes for Nicholas Singleton. And everyone, you know, Pat Singleton on the back on the highlights. Someone's carving those lanes out. Juice Scruggs does some dirty work. Yeah, we're going to uh, pick this game in the next segment, so I won't give any more thoughts there on Utah and Penn State. But let's call, talk now through the uh, the Fiesta Bowl. TCU and Michigan, we talked with Ryan about it, uh, so we got his thoughts on some of these matchups. Right off the bat, like, is there a matchup that stands out to you? They're like, oh, yeah, like, worth the price of admission right off the jump. Yeah, Quentin Johnson against yeah, D.J. Turner. It, right? I think yep. that's kind of 1 or 1A one of this matchup out here. A little undersized D.J. Turner at 5'10", 180, but good press man skills. Quentin Johnson is the 6'4", 210, tall glass of water, above the rim type of uh, receiver. So kind of different styles battling here. So we'll see who comes out on top on the other side. We all know Travis Hodges Tomlinson. 
And I think we all know Noah Daniels and his story. He's been up and down on the field, off the field. Josh Newton is the one that plays opposite Hodges Tomlinson. This kid has been a lockdown corner this season. Just hasn't gotten a lot of attention, love, buzz, hype, in my opinion. So Josh Newton, really good corner out there for TCU, on top of a bunch of other really exciting defensive backs and uh, defensive players like Dylan Horton and guys like that. Dylan so Horton, yeah. I'm excited for these uh, TCU Horn Frogs. I don't expect them to win this game. But I want some prospects to flash and make a name for themselves in a, on top of on a big time stage. So this is a big moment for TCU, big moment for their prospects. Really excited for the opportunity they have. Mozzie Smith, I know his tackle. You talked about DJ Turner. You were you were very high on DJ Turner back in the summer. I know. I remember that you. What was it? We were watching somebody else, and he and he like made some plays, and you were like, "Oh, like let me let me go and watch this yeah. guy later." And you really really like DJ Turner. So and don't forget uh, TCU center uh, Steve Avila yeah, going up should, against Mozzie Smith. That's a like, great battle yep, right yep, there. We talked about that yep. with Ryan. I know Mozzie's had some off the field stuff. I'm not sure of his uh, status of the yep. game, but. Yep. Uh, I hope they uh, get some get some matchups against each other. No, it's a good point. Uh, I think that's uh, certainly somebody to watch here in this one is Steve Avila from uh, from TCU. He's Dylan, one of my favorite Dylan players. Horton's probably going to face uh, Ryan Hayes. Yep. yep. So the, 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 the Ryan Hayes is the left tackle for Michigan. Back to back Joe Moore Award winning team in that yep. Michigan offensive line. So anybody on TCU's front that's a prospect. The NFL scouts are probably going right to that Michigan tape to see how they handled it. No question about it. Uh, let's go now to the uh, the Peach Bowl here: Ohio State and Georgia. No shortage of prospects in this one either. Uh, is there a matchup that you're most excited about right off the well, jump? Well, as I just throw a random dart at the depth charts here, yeah, let's right. go with uh, Keely Ringo against Marvin Harrison Jr. Great one. Yeah. You know, Marvin Harrison's probably a top 10 pick next year. Ringo probably a top 10, top 15 pick this year. Shut down corner with height, weight, speed against a receiver with height, weight, speed and separation skills and above the rim skills. Sure. I don't, I don't know, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like it. I don't know. Yeah, this is like Tyson and Holyfield. Like, who do you want? And who are you going to pick against? Yep. Uh, I'm probably not. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this one. Let's go. Uh, how about Broderick Jones, the left tackle uh, for uh, for Georgia, going up against the Ohio State pass rush? Uh, they've got uh, some they, young guys Zach, that are making Zach plays Harrison for them. Playing, but yeah. Zach, Zach Harrison is going uh, here in this one. Um, but I think when you look at uh, the, the, the big one to keep an eye on here for the future is the um, – the young kid, JT Tuomalau, who had, who's yep. had other huge down, uh, performances down the stretch going up against that Georgia offensive line. Uh, that'll be a big one. I know they've got some interior guys, too, Ohio State, uh, as they always Deron do. Vincent's Deron Vincent, a nice D-tackle playing in front of, like, Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg yep. out there. So they're going to have to uh, buckle up and face that nasty Georgia offensive line. You like the center of uh, Cedric, Cedric Van, Van Pran, Pran, right? Interesting player. How about Warren McClendon? Yeah, uh, the guard. Right tackle yep. guard. I think he's played inside, outside throughout yep. his career. He's a guy that just completely conversationally I think just picked over it was like we went from Andrew Thomas and some of the guys that came out last year and then it's oh Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon just has his hand up like what about me I've been a three four-year starter here national championship team last year what about me this kid's gonna play on Sundays let's see where he fits uh and then you like obviously the tight ends you got Darnell Washington and uh, Brock Bowers at tight end uh working in the middle of the field you mentioned the two linebackers but throw in Ronnie Hickman uh the safety for Ohio State as well so yeah both sides of the ball there's gonna be no shortage of prospects it's like a Taylor Heineke out there someone's gonna like this kid and uh probably take him on day three just because of his his moxie his leadership uh, his big game moments and uh, kind of rallying teams that has value and maybe not starting quality traits but these are types you uh, want to hang in your two and your three in your QB room in case things go wrong a la Washington Commanders there's been no sweat with Taylor Heineke taking over there when he needed to play yep that's kind of a Stetson Bennett profile 
All right, well, we'll, we will be breaking those two games down in depth with Dane Brugler on Monday. You can check it out on your feed Tuesday uh, on the Journey of the Draft podcast feed. Make sure you stay subscribed. You'll get that uh, to your device uh, as soon as possible. Uh, ben, before we round this conversation out, let's go with our uh, our mock draft pick of the week. And we're going to go over to the 33rd team. They put together another mock draft. Um, and the top five, real quick, it's, again, it's the the, the uh, two pass rushers, or two defensive linemen in Will Anderson, Jalen Carter. And it's typically those two quarterbacks. Then who's the fifth guy? Well, a little bit of a tweak here, Ben, because we've got Bryce Young at number one going to the Houston Texans, the Alabama quarterback. The Chicago Bears taking Will Anderson, the pass rusher from Alabama, number two. Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. He's at number three to the Seattle Seahawks. The Arizona Cardinals taking Tyree Wilson, Texas Tech defensive end, at number four. And we've got another quarterback but it's Will Levis from Kentucky at number five to the Indianapolis Colts. So no C.J. Stroud there in the top four, uh, but you see Tyree Wilson. Uh, what are your thoughts there, Tyree Wilson? I know you just watched him again recently uh, from Texas Tech. I did, Tech. a really exciting player. He's a, he's an interesting player. I don't think he's very technically sound, but he has some tools and some traits and some length that you cannot teach. Really excited to get my hands on him. I think he's a ball of clay. Really excited to see him play on Sundays. Fourth overall is a little high for me. Do you look at the 2022 Arizona Cardinals and say, man, they just need some help on the D line. Right. That's yeah. not how I evaluate it. You lose JJ Watt. You lose JJ Watt. It's a retirement. Uh, I think that's probably the connection you're making. I would Great. We're trying to light up the scoreboard here. We yep. need to keep Kyler Murray upright. We need to improve the old line, fix this offense. Tyree Wilson's a nice player. Will be a great piece for the Cardinals. Just not sure that's where their biggest needs are. And one pick earlier, love seeing Jalen Carter to the Seahawks. Does that mean we're rolling with Geno Smith and he earned the trust of that team to be the quarterback of the future? You don't get that third overall pick very often, Fran. You're mm. essentially over, you're picking over every other quarterback outside of Bryce Young. Mm. So that's going to be a pick that's a huge moment in that franchise. Not saying it's right or wrong, just an exciting moment. So for the some people may see that and say like, oh, well, Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech, uh, is, he gonna, is that the connection to make there? But... You have to remember, Tyree Wilson started his career at Texas A&M. So he was at A&M from 18 and 19, then transferred in 2020, which is after Kingsbury uh, left. Now, that said, that's not to say that Cliff Kingsbury doesn't already have uh, plenty of inroads with that Texas Tech program, so he can get plenty of intel uh, there on Tyree Wilson if he wants to try and make him the selection there in the top five. So um, real quickly, Eagles' first selection uh, happens at number 10 in this mock draft. Again, this is the pick from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Cornerback. Kaylee Ringo, and we will get into uh, the, the blurb here from the 33rd team. Uh, Kaylee Ringo is versatile and talented, and the Eagles could get creative with how they use him. Dripping with explosiveness, Ringo would be an interesting player to work with in Philadelphia. So, uh, Ben, we've talked about Kaylee Ringo a couple times here on the pod already because of the matchup here uh, against Ohio State incoming against Marvin Harrison Jr. Top 10 player for you? Is that how you kind of view him at this point? You know, top 10 player is a, kind of a weird term based on the teams and them selecting in the top 10. He's a top 10 caliber prospect. Now, will the quarterbacks and edge rushers on occasion get thrusted over the corners? Sure. So if he goes 12 or, <clears throat> excuse me, 19 even, he's still a top 10 prospect in my opinion. I think he's cornerback one all day long, maybe 1A right there with uh, Joey Porter Jr., he has things you can't teach, and these types of prospects don't grow on trees and come out every year. Could be a little raw to start his NFL career. That's okay. It's a learn-on-the-job position. He is a type, and he fits what the Eagles like. 
to your point, uh, you know, saying like, all right, is he a top 10 player? And is he a top 10 player versus is he going in the top 10 are two different questions. And so that's why whenever we do the Eagles picks, I always like to kind of say, okay, who are the other players going in that range of the mock draft? So here are the three that went before and the three that went after. So at number seven, the Detroit Lions with that Rams pick, they select Clemson defensive tackle Brian Brezzi. At number eight, Carolina Panthers take C.J. Stroud. So the Ohio State quarterback goes off the board at eight. Number nine, the Las Vegas Raiders selecting Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson. By the way, we're starting to see some of these as like pretty consistent picks across mock drafts. And, and you know, that doesn't mean that that's definitely going to happen, obviously, but we're starting to see uh, player and team the connections. The Raiders are already ha- selling Paris Johnson jerseys. Yeah, right. That, that's been a, a, mock draft, a mock draft pick very consistently over the last month. Uh, at number 11, so this is after the uh, Kaylee Ringo pick, Quentin Johnson, the TCU wide receiver playing this weekend, he goes to the Houston Texans. At number 12, the Seattle Seahawks with their second pick in the mock draft. They take Army pass rusher Andre Carter the second. And then at number 13, the Tennessee Titans select uh, wide receiver Jordan Addison from USC. Ben, um, of those six picks, what stands out most to you? For me, it's Andre Carter that high. We haven't really seen that. Uh, Andre Carter that high uh, would be a shock. Yeah, we haven't seen that. I also don't really uh, see that level of prospect. So I think there's some discourse there. And then it's kind of right in those first couple picks you had mentioned, and even one earlier. You started this off with the Lions and Brian Brezzi, but a pick before that was the Falcons and Miles Murphy. So great Dabo, back-to-back Clemson guys in the top 10. But the Falcons not picking C.J. Stroud. The Lions not picking C.J. Stroud. Them kind of rolling with their quarterbacks that they currently have. It's a major discourse there. So I'm really interested to see how this top 10 plays out. I would make the Panthers at number 8 that took Stroud think all day long I am taking him you have to come up to get him and I just think uh it's another pick like we just talked about the Seahawks Falcons fans I think they want themselves a quarterback of the future yep so really interesting spot there uh as far as where they're going and positionally this is going to be one of those drafts where, okay, first of all, every single weekend the order is changing so much because there's so many teams jumbled up in that like four, five, six win range that like all right, one one game completely shuffles the deck. But once this once that order is set, really the, those picks quote unquote are going to be quote unquote made at quarterback yeah. in the next like two months. Yeah, it's not the teams aren't going to wait till April. The teams that are going to need a quarterback because you think about like Derek Carr likely to be on the market, Jimmy Garoppolo likely to be on the market. Like there are going to be other starting level quarterbacks that are going to be on the market. You wait for those musical chairs to kind of shuffle. Who's left wanting a quarterback? That's who's going to be uh, making these picks. So when you look at all those teams in the top ten. Yeah, as we sit here today, like they're all options, but I feel like some of them are going to be removed from the equation by the time we get to like end of February. And just to put my GM hat on for a minute, if I'm the Lions sitting at seven with this particular board, they have them selecting Brian Brezzi, interior defensive tackle. I'm probably going Keely Ringo or C.J. Stroud. And when C.J. Stroud with the thought of sitting him behind Jared Goff for a year, maybe two years, uh, I really like that fit in hopefully, knock on wood, Ben Johnson's scheme, although he might get poked for a head coaching job. But Keely Ringo, opposite of Jeff Akuda, is a big void in that kind of uh, scheme and defense yep. as well. So a lot of different spots these teams. Falcons obviously need edge rushing help. Also need some quarterback of the future help. So uh, these middle of the top tens, really fun picks. Lions and Seahawks also in that in that area not picking with their own selections. So it's like uh, if you feel like you are a team that's going to be competing, you could see how hard it is to to pick down in that realm. You don't know if you're going to have that shot at an elite blue chip level quarterback. So you have to weigh that as well and yeah. what, what that could mean uh, for your team moving forward. Let's fast forward now all the way to pick number 32. That's where the Eagles select Florida State pass rusher Jared Verse. Here's the blurb from the 33rd team. The Eagles love rushers and feel as if they can never have enough 
enough. They will roll them in and out and always will work to disrupt the quarterback. So, uh, Ben, I know you studied Jared Verse recently. Uh, what did you like most about his game? Do you think that he is a round one guy if he declares for this draft? Yeah, I think uh, the fringe round one, he's kind of right in that 30 to 50 range, in my opinion. I think he'll be, you know, edge six, seven, eight. Very powerful player, variety of ways to get after the quarterback. Good run defender. Um, I don't think he's going to be an exceptional tester maybe outside of the bench press or something where he can really show off his his strength. But he plays with some heavy hands, knows how to, how to get after the quarterback, and is the epitome of what I call a no-nonsense rusher. Yep. He goes from A to B, a lot of speed to power, a lot of inside moves, a lot of shoulder annihilation, as we like to say, where he really attacks a half man on tackles and just obliterates them. Look at the clip I put up last week, I think against the Wake Forest tackle, where he just spun him around with his hands. Very powerful on contact. I think this uh, defensive line room here in Philadelphia would welcome him. I love the I love the power, and I do think that that can show up with like the broad jump and the ten yard split. I agree. I don't know that he's going to like test super well across the board, like shuttle wise. It's not always like lower half power. It's not like he flies out of his stance or like surges into tackles. He's like a boxer. He like knocks people out with his hands. Right. Like, he's got those heavy. Something mitts. to be said about that. Yeah, those long arms, and he kind of sets you up with little stutters, and he just attacks your chest. Yeah, we'll see where that shows up in some metrics. All right, let's go. Uh, the five guys that went off the board before this. So again, just talking about who are the players going off in this area. Twenty. Seven, the Dallas Cowboys selecting Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson. 28, the Cincinnati Bengals taking Emmanuel Jones, the talented corner there. At 29, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs selecting Georgia left tackle Broderick Jones. At number 30, uh, the Minnesota Vikings selecting South Carolina corner Cam Smith. So they go corner again, high in the draft. And at number 31, the Buffalo Bills selecting Texas A&M safety Antonio Johnson, a five-tool player at that position. Uh, ben, I really like the Cam Smith pick uh, at corner for Minnesota. You pair him with Andrew Booth, you feel pretty good about those two and Lewisine as a secondary you can kind of build around uh, there in, in Minnesota. Is there a pick from that group that you really like? Well, I love that Andy Reid isn't just turning his team into seven on seven teams. Mm. You have Mahomes, you have these weapons, you have speed, you seemingly, you know, go get Kadarius Tony and Juju and add running backs and Kelsey. Don't forget about the offensive line. So them going Broderick Jones in the first round, I absolutely love. I know Orlando Brown was a pro bowler. He's a little disappointing this year. They have Andrew Wiley at right tackle. Suddenly, don't let your half-a-billion-dollar quarterback run for his life like we saw in the Super Bowl two years ago. Keep adding coals to the fire in the furnace, keeping those skilled players nice and warm in the winter, as we like to say. Don't forget that offensive line. Andy Reid is offensive firepower. We all know it. This isn't a seven-on-seven league. It's not a seven-on-seven team. Keep protecting your crown jewels, particularly Mahomes, with a tackle. Biggest wow pick from this entire mock draft. Where you're, and this could be positive, negative. We're like, whoa! Like you're just surprised to see that pick. Uh, Cedric Tillman, the Tennessee wide receiver, at 23 to the Giants. Was that for me? Um, there are some inroads there between the Giants and Tennessee. There are some connections there that can be made. But uh, Tillman, who's a player I'm very, very high on, but he had that injury that cost him the majority of this season, and so uh, he, the shine has kind of worn off on him a little bit. Jalen Hyatt uh, getting more of that love, but uh, Tillman at 23 uh, that did surprise me. Yeah, crazy in a snap of the fingers. We have. Two Two Tennessee volunteer receivers in the first round. The one that made me sit up in my chair. How about the Jets taking Anthony Richardson? Going right back to the quarterback well already. I kind of feel like it's like that. that's just a veteran QB team. Like, not even just like in this scenario, but just like in general. Well, where they go with, you know, Mike White hit free agency. There's going to be some guys like Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr. Uh, they're going to be out there for the taking. You know, they still obviously have Zach Wilson. Is it a rip the page off? Let's move on like a Johnny or excuse me, like a uh, Josh Rosen type of situation where, hey, it's just not the fit. We want to move on and kind of start the future. 
Sophia very quick to uh, make those decisions. But the Jets quarterback situation, it's been exciting 30 years ago, 20 years ago, three years ago, yesterday. It'll be exciting next year. Anthony Richardson here. Next era is here. All right. So in the description, and I, you and I did not talk about this before, but all I, and I'm hoping you understand when I say this. The biggest, quote-unquote, nod gif pick from this entire mock trade. If I say the nod gif, like what, what's the one that comes to your mind? I think of the Snoop Dogg one where he's in, uh, he's wearing very strange type of like a, a stuffy type of uh, fancy outfit. Oh, and, and he's gives the, the, one really strong nod. So I, I was more thinking of it. I don't even know where this is from, but it's like the uh, the mountain man-ish looking guy where it's like the slow zoom in on him and he gives you that nod of approval. And that's kind of where I was thinking, yeah, it's that that one, is the Snoop one for sure. I was more thinking of the, the mountain man one. Um, but we're on the same page here. You see this one, you're like, oh yeah, like I, I, I approve uh, of this pick. Uh, what was that for you? It's got to be Michael Mayer. 19, Jacksonville Jaguars going uh, to Doug Peterson's offense there. That really excites me. I just think that's a... Uh, so are you locked in on Mayer as like a top 25 type player? Because if you, no. you've, used, you've used Mayer a number of times when we've talked about like, oh, I really like this pick and this fit. And it's typically with like Jacksonville, Cincinnati, the Chargers, like all those teams like picking late teens, early 20s. So I feel like you like Mayer in that area. Well, a lot of those teams are those kind of established offenses where he doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't right. have to be a feature piece. So whether he goes to the Chargers and you have Herbert and you're kind of adding a more well-rounded wide tight end to the offense, that's what I see in Jacksonville here. If Cam Minert's playing a lot of wide tight end, Evan Ingram's more of the move tight end, I just think it fits a offense that's really clicking. It's got its young quarterback. It's got a great system. Them. They can use an exciting two-way wide tight end. I think that's Michael Mayer, and I've, I think in addition to that offense with Christian Kirk and Ingram and ETN, and they're getting uh, Calvin Ridley next year, yep. you know, checking a lot of boxes. Where are the holes in this Jags offense? Well, obviously keep improving the O-line, but a wide tight end in the future I think fits them perfectly. For me, and I actually don't even love the team fit here, uh, Devin Witherspoon going 21, I believe, to the Washington Commanders. Oh. Um it was I, I liked the player going that high because I watched Devin Weatherspoon from Illinois and I really loved him on film. You know, he's just under six foot. He's 5'11", uh, under 185 pounds. So he is a wiry, wiry player. And, and now there are some people that are very much against like the skinny, skinny corner. Um, but this is a guy that I think just matches routes really, really well. Uh, really good feel in zone coverage. I love his play personality. Uh, he's got a great special teams background. I know you can enjoy that. Um, I think that's like Washington is in pretty good shape at outside corner. You and I have both been pretty impressed with what we've seen from Benjamin St. Just in year two. Uh, they, they've got another veteran there in Fuller. So I think that they, they feel pretty good and you, they've got other areas that they probably need to address outside of corner at this point. But I did like seeing Witherspoon that early in the draft. Yeah, much different size and profile than a St. Juice who's 6'3", 200 pounds. He's also played some inside. But Witherspoon, the first thing you'll notice, you'll hear him. He's going to be like a D'Angelo Hall he plays, type of play yeah. presence out there. He's an alpha. He likes to talk crap out there. He gets in your face, does not back down. He's the type of guy that might get dunked on, and it's coming right back to pick your pocket. He has a short memory. That's what you want out of a corner out there. Very, very um, feisty, I guess, his personality, his play strength, his speed. He's had some big hits. He's had some big picks, and he lets you know about it. He's a guy you want in your defensive back room. I love it. Well, Ben, uh, we'll be back with you next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will talk to you uh, next week here on the show as well as over on the Eagle on the Sky podcast.
All right, so before we get into pick six, last week we did not have a late week episode of the Journey of the Draft podcast because uh, I got a stomach bug halfway through the week. By the way, I would not suggest anyone getting that in the days leading up to the holiday. That was not fun. However, that meant that the segment that Ross and I recorded in the middle of the week last week never saw the light of day. However, in the spirit of our competition continuing, I will share what the picks were and the current score now before we get into this week's segment. Now, after the previous week, I pulled ahead with a two-point swing. So I had a two-point lead going into the week. BYU beating SMU, that was a big one for me. So I came into last week up by one after getting that two-point uh, two jump in the previous week. So very, very tight going into this last week of games. Uh, here's how Ross and I picked last week. Now, our first pick was the Gasparilla, goal, uh, Gasparilla Bowl, and that was Wake Forest and Missouri. Ross, he picked Wake Forest. I took the Missouri Tigers. Well, Wake Forest came up with a W. Ross got two points. The next pick the guaranteed rate ball. That was Wisconsin and Oklahoma State took place this past Tuesday night. Ross, he took the Wisconsin Badgers. I took Oklahoma State. Well, Wisconsin won. So Ross got another two points. So he takes the lead here as we go into our one-pointers. Our over-under. I went with 384.5 passing yards for Houston quarterback Clayton Toon in the uh, Independence Bowl against Louisiana. Now, the reason why I picked 384.5, well, Clayton Toon, he threw for 3,845 yards. So I slid that decimal point down uh, one spot. We both took the under, and the under hit with just 224. So we both got a point there in the over-under. In our either-or segment, who would run for more yards? ECU stud uh, youngster running back Keaton Mitchell against Coastal Carolina, or or another stud youngster in Wisconsin running back, Braylon Allen versus Oklahoma State. Both of us took ECU running back Keaton Mitchell, and both of us hit. Mitchell finished with 127 yards. Braylon Allen only 116. So we both got a point in the either or. Then, which number is higher? Georgia Southern quarterback Kyle Van Treese, his touchdown passes against Buffalo. He was a Buffalo transfer, by the way, so he's going up against his former team. Or the number of touchdown passes thrown by Eagles quarterback Gardner Minshew against the Dallas Cowboys. We both took Minshew. We both got the point. So at this point, what Ross has hit on every single pick in the week. He hit on both pickums. I hit on none of them, and we both hit on all of the one-pointers. So that meant that he had a nice lead going into our final category, our upset specials. Ross took Utah State over Memphis. That did not go well. Memphis won by, I think, three scores. I took Middle Tennessee State over San Diego State. That one hit 25-23 in the Hawaii Bowl. MTSU comes up big for me. So for those counting at home, that now gets me a five-point lead going into this week. Ross has been caught up to speed, so he's got the score. You guys have the score. Thanks for bearing with us. Sorry we missed an episode due to the stomach bug. That being said, let's get to the rest of this segment. Let's bring in Ross for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, time to welcome in Ross Tucker, like I said. Ross, I've caught up our listeners uh, so they are aware that I now have a five-point lead. Thanks very much to MTSU coming through for me with the upset win over San Diego State. Uh, so that is my third upset special that I have hit. You've got one, and that's, that's the difference in the ballgame right now, man. Unbelievable. And I forgot that you picked MTSU. You didn't even like that one that much. You weren't <laughs> even that excited about it. You didn't want to pick them, but... There you go. That surprised me, by the way. I don't know yep. who all played or didn't play for San Diego State, but I, I really thought they would take care of business in that game. 
Well, if it makes you feel any better, you got me on both of the pickums. Like we said, you got uh, you got Missouri, uh, or you got uh, you got Wake Forest, and um, uh, you were able to get Wisconsin over Oklahoma State on Tuesday night as well. But with all that said, let's spin this forward to this week's matchups. We'll start with a game that's going to uh, happen next Monday, five o'clock, Rose Bowl, Penn State, Utah. I know you've got uh, a lot of thoughts uh, on this game overall, Ross. Who do you like to win this game straight up? Well, this is interesting. Yes. Because this is the first time I've ever done this. I initially wrote down Penn State. Okay. But I changed it to Utah. Wow. Three primary reasons. Okay. Okay. Number one, Utah was in the Rose Bowl last year. So I like that they have a familiarity and a comfort level being back on this big stage, number one. Number two, their quarterback's just a decent amount better than Penn State's quarterback, right? Yeah. Like, where did Cam Rising come from again, friend? I gotcha. Um, Cam Rising was a relatively uh, unknown recruit. I've got him right here because I did him over the summer, so I've got it his It feels stuff. like he came out of nowhere. I thought he almost, like, transferred in or something. So he yeah he actually he actually transferred in from Texas uh, in 2018 he was a um, he, he was uh, he started there with the Longhorns and there was a backup behind Tyler Huntley in 2018 then he was a backup behind Jake Bentley in 2020 and then stepped in last season went nine and two as a starter and then this year uh, another huge year for uh, for the Utes yeah so I just think he's a decent amount better than Sean Clifford having watched him this year yep and then the last one is. I want Penn State to win. I'm oh, a Penn so State hedging. fan. So this is the this is a happiness hedge where if Penn State wins, I'll be happy. If they lose, at least I got my pick right against Fran. That'll be the <laughs> part that, that'll make me feel better about it. You know, in all sincerity, no Dalton Kincaid at tight end. And I know Utah doesn't have their stud corner either, but Penn State doesn't have Joey Porter Jr. It's interesting, by the way, like, I think, you know, Fran, from my experience as a player, like I am all for guys doing whatever it takes to maximize the financial security yeah. they can get from playing the sport. You all, you, you were very ahead of the curve, I feel like, with that. You and I have had these conversations for like almost a decade now, and you have always been a fan of guys, whether, you know, and those early opt-outs. I remember like when Leonard Fournette and when Christian McCaffrey opted out, it was huge, huge news. And you were like, no, like this is smart uh, on their on their side of things. Absolutely, especially after you see what has happened to, you know, guys like Jake Butt and other guys, Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith, yeah. But I got to tell you, Rose Bowl would be a tough one for me to turn down. Mm. Now, Kincaid in the corner for Utah, I'm forgetting his name right now. They Cameron both played Phillips, in yep. last year. Yep. What's his name? Cam Cameron Phillips. That's right. So I kind of get that. Um, but I was talking with somebody about this, and they said, for these kids – it's always been about the college football playoff and that like the Rose bowl doesn't have the same, um, pool or whatever yep. that it might've for us, you know, back in the day. Yep. Um, cause they just don't look at it that way, which I think is interesting, but man, that's one that I feel like I would want to check on the bucket list, yeah. you know?
Yeah, uh, Clark Phillips, by the way. I misspoke, Cam not Cameron Phillips. Clark Phillips is the uh, the stud corner for Utah. And, that, and that's why I feel like the uh, the expansion of the playoff will kind of help that because now it's like there are more of these games, less likely for guys to opt out because you've got the more more players and more teams in contention to go and win the entire thing. I, I think that will help um, from that standpoint. That's how I do find like the opt-outs, while at first it was kind of a bummer, that first year where you saw like waves of players opting out, but now it's kind of fun because it gives you a little bit of a peek at like next year year, and I remember this Rose Bowl last year. Uh, what did we see? We saw Jackson Smith and Jigba go absolutely off. We saw C.J. Stroud go off against Utah, right? And so um, I, there's, there's, some, there's some fun element uh, to that as well, that just to get a, a peek at what's to come. I'm going to go Penn State here. Uh, I, I think with Utah ha having a bunch of those guys out, I agree it's a huge QB advantage in, in favor of Utah, um, but give me Penn State uh, to go out and, and get the win for the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl. Uh, let's now go to another one here. This one is the, uh, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a lesser game, the, uh, the Sun Bowl, Pitt and UCLA, another East Coast, West Coast game. Uh, who do you like in this one? This one's a Friday game, so uh, for some listening, this will be uh, maybe happening right now or has already happened. I got to go UCLA. I mean, they've been the better team all year, especially with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Um, it, it's kind of crazy to me where it feels like Pitt's had a very average year and UCLA's had a really good year that these happen to be the two teams against each other. UCLA... Clearly, in my mind, been a better team this year. Give me, give me the Bruins. A bunch of Pitt's best players are out too. They, they, their uh, first team All ACC running back Israel Abakanada. Uh, you've got uh, Servasie Dennis and Brandon Hill on defense. Uh, I think Kalijah Kansi is going to play, um, but I think when you look at uh, a lot of the players uh, for uh, for Pitt, not in this game. I agree. Like if all things equal. I probably like UCLA, but even with that, I'm going to go with the Bruins as well. Uh, so I'll go with you on that side of the pick -em. Let's now go to uh, another game here. We've got the Orange Bowl, Clemson and Tennessee. So fittingly so with two uh, orange teams here uh, in the bowl game. And the sophomore running back for Clemson, Will Shipley, a little bit underperformed this year. I think people are expecting a little bit more from him, but uh, I wanted to go just to hit the over-under on his rushing yards and to pick what that number would be. I just thought, you know what, let's look at what his rushing grade was from PFF this year, which is kind of an, an innocuous number. But I just thought, you know, there might be a, a nice number to go with, nice round number, 82.2. So I'm going to say over-under, 82.2 rushing yards for Will Shipley against the Tennessee Volunteers. Ross, what say you? I'm going to go over. Um, I don't think Tennessee's defense is very good. Uh, now, the only thing that gives me a little pause is – a full game of Cade Klubnick and throwing the ball for Clemson. Yep. But I think Clemson's O-line will actually be able to run Tennessee over. I'm going to go over for Will Shipley. I think he has a big day. I'm going to go under here. I think that just that offense in general, to a point, like I don't know if I can necessarily guarantee that he's going to hit close to 100 rushing yards on the day. Um, I, I will take the under. I think that he can contribute uh, as a pass catcher. We've seen that throughout Shipley's career, but uh, give me the under here on that one. I'll go against you on that play, or on that uh, on that number. Let's know, now go with our either or, and we're going to take a look at uh, the uh, the college football playoff games here. Who's got more receiving yards? Two of the stud receivers in the postseason here. TCU's Quentin Johnson going up against Michigan or Marvin Harrison Jr., the stud wide receiver, Blitnikoff Award winner for the Ohio State Buckeyes going up against that Georgia secondary. Who has more receiving yards, Ross? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, I really think if you're Michigan, how can you let Quentin Johnson beat you, right? Like, they got to be doubling that guy. 
taking care of that guy all game. I also think Michigan's going to run the ball a lot on offense, which keeps the clock moving, which is less opportunities for Johnson. Whereas for Ohio State, they got some other guys that Georgia has to worry about. But I also think that they're going to probably be coming from behind and throwing yeah. the ball over the place. So yep. I got Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, that was my thought process there as well. I, I was interested to see which way you would go. I ended up going Harrison Jr. as well just because uh, I feel like Ohio State will be playing from behind here. And if they're going to have any kind of hope in this game, I think Harrison's got to ha have a huge day. And so I will go uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. here on this play. They move him around so they can try and find different ways to be able to get him the football. With Quinton Johnson, that is not the case. You kind of know where he's going to be located uh, in the formation. Michigan can a little bit more uh, easily kind of take him away and remove him from the game formationally in that matchup. Let's, let's now go to our next one here. A high-low, another one-pointer. Which number is higher? We look at the Heisman Trophy winner, the quarterback, Caleb Williams for USC. His passing yards versus Tulane or Bryce Young and his passing yards against Kansas State. Potential number one pick this year in Bryce Young or the potential number one uh, pick next year in Caleb Williams. Who's got more passing yards this weekend between those two stud quarterbacks? I'm going Caleb Williams. Ooh, um, nice. I think Alabama will try to run it more against K-State. I think K-State's defense is better than Tulane's defense. I know Tulane's defense has been really good this year. I know. But I still think Caleb Williams is going to put up more passing yards than Bryant Young. I just think, or Bryce Young, I'm sorry, K-State's defense, uh, pretty solid. And I think Alabama, after all these bowl practices, I can picture Saban wanting to get back to basics of running the ball. A little throwback name there with the uh, the Bryant Young. Was that like a, uh, yeah, a bad uh, memory, like going up against him with the 49ers? Correct, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go uh, Caleb Williams as well. I think that that USC offense with time to prepare for Tulane. Uh, I think they've got the ability to to put up big time yards and points there in that game. Ross, the separating factor between the two of us all season has been the upset specials. That's why I've got the lead right now. Uh, is there an upset you like uh, here this weekend? Thought about Ohio State. Because wow. they do have the firepower to do it. Yeah. But the one I like more, Kansas State. Ooh, over Alabama. Kansas State over Alabama. There's a history. First of all, K-State's a tough team. Yep. I like the way they play. I like their coach. And Alabama has a history of not really showing up in these non-college football playoff bowls, right? Mm. Like, all the guys are talking to their agents. I'm actually stunned that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are both playing in this game. Yep. That surprises me. But I'm going to take K-State. I don't know if they'll get it done, but this is like their Super Bowl. And for Alabama, this is like – their pre-combine workout. <laughs> I am shocked that both of those blue chip guys, uh, potential top three picks there, are playing in the game. That's what gives me kind of faith. I'm like, all right, if, if those guys are in, I feel like everybody else has to be kind of locked in here. Uh, so I actually do like Alabama over Kansas State. I went back and forth here. Dude, I'm going Purdue uh, over LSU. Uh, I think that's one where, um, you, you know, you look at uh, bowl game history, and so we've seen LSU put up some clunkers. We've also seen Notre Dame under Brian Kelly put up some clunkers in bowl games. Uh, Purdue, they've got a lot to play for coming in here uh give me give me the boilermakers uh over lsu i like that here as my upset special for the week and we'll see if i can further extend this lead i need the upset special this week not you, you. yes you do you do need the upset special uh we've got we went uh, head to head on a few of these here ross we'll see who comes out on top after the first big weekend uh in bowl season we'll talk to you next week right here on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand now it's time to hear from you the fans in the draft mailbag 
So great stuff there from Ross Tucker. Let's now get to our one question we've got from our Apple podcast page. Right him, left a five-star review uh, asking about uh, pass rusher Will Anderson from Alabama. Uh, Will, Wilt said how much he loves the show. He loves the Under the Hood segment. He loves everything with Dane and with Ben every single week. And he said, you know, asking about Will Anderson, my question is about uh, whether, I, you know, he's a player I would love to have in Philadelphia, but I wonder how he would be utilized in this defense. It looks like his college role is similar to Hassan Reddick. So would he sit behind Reddick or would he have more of a Where's Waldo role where he could be at DN, D tackle, or outside linebacker similar to Micah Parsons? So, uh, Will, I think the, the big thing when you're talking about a, a blue chip talent like uh, Will Anderson is, yeah, you're going to try and get him on the field in the best way possible. Now, the Eagles certainly have uh, you know so, some youngsters at defensive and guys that are locked in. You've got Hassan Reddick. You've got Josh Sweat. Both of those guys locked up for the next couple of years. But we know how much they like to rotate, how like they, they like to get multiple guys in there uh, over the course of a game and on the field at the same time, right? So Brandon Graham, he's going on an expiring contract. The Eagles have other pass rushers and defense defensive linemen that are on expiring contracts. So there are definitely snaps to be had there in the rotation. We know that this is a team that prioritizes the line of scrimmage. So yeah, if you draft a Will Anderson, you're going to find different ways to be able to get him on the field and get him into the rotation there from a pass rush standpoint. So uh, that, is, that is a good problem to have for certain. Uh, this is a team that has not been afraid to t- you know to make those kinds of picks. We saw that with Dallas Goddard, right? With Zach Ertz already in tow. They drafted Zach Ertz when Brent Selleck was already uh, just about on the, on the prime of his career, right? So I think when you look at uh, this organization, if the player is right, if the fit is right, we're going to draft him and we're going to figure it out later, especially at a premier position like pass rusher. So, uh, yeah, I would say you look at Will Anderson. If he's available, uh, that is a great fit uh, anywhere. I think you try and make it work after that. So, Will, great question there. Thanks so much for the five-star review. Thanks for the question. Again, anyone that has any kind of question like that about a specific player or mock draft, player rankings, whatever it is, leave it there on the Apple Podcast page. We will answer it here on an upcoming episode. That said, we'll be back next week. Uh, Dane Brugler and I will be breaking down the college football play off all the other college football action here this weekend next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.